You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast that features interviews with thriller, mystery, and suspense authors. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash M-T-T-A. That's an M as in murder. Over 180,000 titles, including great thrillers to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So stay tuned for the next episode of Meet the Thriller Author. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. Today's guest is Don Lee McKenna. And Don is the author of the best-selling Forgotten Coast Florida suspense series uh, novels. And so really happy to have her here on the uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for being on the, sh- on the show, Don. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, so for listeners who might not have heard about you or your novels, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a Florida native. been living in Tennessee for the last 20 years. I have a suspense series, as you said, uh, the Forgotten Coast Florida suspense series, uh, which is set in Apalachicola, Florida, which is in the panhandle. And um, it's a character-driven, very much character-driven suspense series. And uh, I'm getting ready to release the seventh book uh, sometime this month. And uh, it's been very exciting. It's been very exciting. Unexpectedly happy with the way that it's worked out. And, you know, I'm glad that you said the, the, the name of that st- the town in Florida because I was gonna I was gonna say it in my intro and I'm like Apalachicola <laughs> I couldn't do it <laughs> Appalach for short Appalach okay that's better <laughs> much uh, easier to roll off the tongue yeah 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 and your books yeah your books are just uh, they're doing so well and uh, it looks like you've really hit a uh, a nerve there with the with with readers can you describe uh, the, the a little bit about your books and and the feel because it's they're set in Florida, but uh, this is uh, it's not like Miami, Florida. It's like very different from no, like Southern Florida. Florida. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about all about that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not Miami at all. Appalachia is an amazing place. It's it's very much what Florida used to be. They have very intentionally kept it true to its history. It gives me the impression of a a little New England fishing town. Got picked up and and set down in Florida. And it it was settled by by northerners, um, and so the the architecture is very much New England coastal kind of thing. Um, but it's a very small town. I think they have around twenty three hundred permanent residents right now, and um, they do a pretty good tourist business. But uh, but it's very much still a fishing town, um, oystering and and shrimping. And it's it's a really amazing place, and I I always feel uh, really grateful when people tell me that I, I I convey the atmosphere well because to me it's it's hard to convey. It's it's just a very very special place. One of the most helpful people in in writing this series has been a gentleman named John Solomon, who um, I met. By uh, contacting the Chamber of Commerce, I, I had a question when I was writing Low Tide, and I thought maybe the Chamber of Commerce could answer it, and they put me on to their director, John Solomon, and I got really lucky, A, that he was excited about talking to me about the books, and 
be that he was um, retired from 20 years with the Florida um, or with the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. So I got two technical advisors in one, <laughs> and um, and he's been incredibly helpful. And um, he mentioned to me, it, I thought of this when you said Appalachia's Miami. He said to me recently, he said, you know, every time one of your books comes out, you multiply the actual crime rate in Franklin County by about 4,000 <laughs> percent. I said, yeah. I mean, they just, they have no crime. <laughs> so, um, you know, but that's part of the, the humor of the series, really. And, you know, and, and people that know Appalach, you know, they know if if somebody shoplifts something from the Piggly Wiggly, it's kind of a big deal. So the fact that I have, you know, chopped up bodies and drug dealers and all these other things going on, they think it's pretty funny. I, I was worried at first they'd get angry with me, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah, you can't have a, a, a thriller, a mystery suspense type novels without uh, some, some bodies. <laughs> yeah, the occasional foot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun because I know that it's ridiculous and um, and the series does uh, is imbued with a sense of the ridiculous. So right there, I miss the tropes there, but that's the way I like it. There's a lot of humor in the series. There are some serious issues that seem to pop up in each book, which is kind of unintentional, and I take those issues seriously. But the the books themselves don't take themselves very seriously, and the characters are a lot funnier than I am. So it just, I don't know, it seemed to, to work out well. <laughs> a blend of the, the serious and the tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, the location in the, the, the region is, a very, is, is probably a, a huge character for your, for your books as well. As just... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Appalachia is definitely one of the central characters. And uh, how long have you been writing for? I've been writing seriously since I was 12. I've been writing professionally since 2010, but I, I started as a ghostwriter writing nonfiction. And my, my intention was to, to just be at home so that I could work on my fiction. And um, the ghostwriting kind of took over my life and I didn't have nearly as much time for, for writing my fiction as I thought I would. The series was actually a very desperate attempt to replace my freelance income so that I could focus on the fiction. And that worked out far better than, than I actually dared to hope it would. Um, but prior to the series, I had one book released. It was a standalone novel that got reviewed very well, and, and I got lots of wonderful feedback on it. But um, as you know, um, a standalone novel, especially as a first novel, is... Uh, really really has to defy some serious odds to be successful so i i turned my focus to writing a series or trying to write a series and uh, kind of hoped that that would generate an, at least a small income so that i could you know if not quit ghostwriting at least cut way back on it and um and it, it worked out enormously well in spite of my messing everything up so we were talking a little about that before. You really like uh, hit something with uh, with your readers because your books are doing so well, even though you might not be hitting out. You know, what the so called experts say you need to be hitting. Yeah. What do you think is? Why do you think that uh, is? Uh, your books have uh, found such a great audience. It's it's the characters for sure. It, it's the characters. They are so involved in the characters. 
it's a beautiful thing to me to watch because I mean I know that you know as a writer you to you your characters are real people and um, you know and you you grow to care about them and I love these characters and the readers just I mean they just respond so much to these characters and um, so many emails and, and Amazon reviews talk about you know these characters have become my friends they've become my family um, you know, I, I really want to find out what, what happens next with them. And so it's, it's absolutely the characters. Um, I would like to think the writing has something to do with it. Um, but I think I just, it was just a perfect storm of characters. And, um, and I don't think that I actually created those characters. They just kind of walked up and introduced themselves and, um, I started writing about them. And, uh, but it's, I, I think it's definitely, um, the main thing that's made the series so successful. And the reason that I found this, like you said, this group of this niche of readers that, um, love these books and man, am I grateful for that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they just, they love these characters. And were you a fan of thrillers and suspense mysteries? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. I uh, James Lee Burke is my hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, when I started, when I first discovered Cabeboards back in 2014, and um, decided that I was I was going to try to become an indie publisher, um, I was trying to decide if I should write See You, which ended up being my first novel and was something I had been working on for a number of years. Um, I was trying to decide whether I should write that or try to publish a series first. And I said, you know, I just don't have a series in me. I'm just not a series writer. And, um, and so I shelved that idea um, and published See You. And um, over the course of a, about six months or so, you know, so many of my friends were writing series, and I was like, you know, if I could write a series, I would, and if I did, it would be suspense. And I remember thinking, you know, if I could, if I could capture a sense of place, ten percent as well as James Lee Burke, I would consider myself successful at it. And um, and I, when I started this series, I definitely had that in the back of my head the whole time I was writing. You know. Because James Lee Burke could put you in New Iberia, Louisiana, with six words, and I mean, it's just—he—he's like a ballet dancer with that keyboard, you know. He's just amazing. Um, and Robert Parker, uh, big fan of Robert Parker, um, big admirer of his dialogue. And you know, so I had writers like that in the back of my head when when I was working on the series, and I was like, you know, just if you can be one-tenth is good just one-tenth is good there'll be decent books and uh i'm still working on that (laughs) that's a great uh, that's a great approach to take too the to not get overwhelmed or frustrated you know like yeah like just try it like baby stepping it (laughs) yeah and um you know i just uh like i said when i was writing low tide i got like three chapters in and i'm like you are not doing what you set out to do (laughs) And, uh, you know, it, there's no sex, the, the language is really mild, 
you've got too much social commentary, you've got too much humor, not enough violence, you know, and on and on. I was like, you're just, you missed it. You just told, how could you be three chapters in and you didn't hit anything? And, uh, and I remember thinking, but you know, I'm having such a good time. Oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun writing this. And I was just like, ah, so I'll write it and a dozen people will read it and we'll call it a day. And, uh, and it took off anyway, in spite of myself. Uh, I managed to, to write something somebody wanted to read. Did it take off pretty quickly? Uh, yeah, right away. Um, my hope was that, you know, I, I had the first four books in mind and kind of mapped out somewhat. I'm a pantser, so um, by mapped, I mean, you know, thought about. Uh, <laughs> and my hope was that the the first four books together would generate enough income for me to quit freelancing. And actually, Low Tide did that on its own in the first month. Um, and that that was bewildering. And then, um, and I, I released them in very quick succession. Um, I released Riptide, the second book, um, a little less than a month after I released Low Tide. And, um, and the <laughs> the the jump in sales was staggering, um, and uh, I know that you you know you and I both are very familiar with Wayne Stennett from from Keyboards and yeah he was a guest uh, on the, one of the previous podcasts too. He's he's become a very good friend, mm-hmm. and um, and we had become friends while I was writing the series. In fact, he encouraged me to set it in my home state, um, and I'm grateful that he did um but you know he he kept giving me these predictions uh with each book and he kept saying you're gonna hit this amount of sales and you're gonna have you know this is gonna be your ranking when you release this one and you know and I kept saying you are on too many drugs (laughs) and um but actually each book surpassed his predictions and um we had a lot of fun watching that happen but um but he was very, um, very helpful to me. And uh, in fact, the the first sales that I got on Low Tide were his readers. Um, he had mentioned the book in one of his newsletters to his readers, and and I think I think I got 53 sales from his newsletter. And I thought that was the most exciting thing uh, since Keanu Reeves had been born. And <laughs> and I thought those would be the only 53 readers I'd ever have. But I was really excited that I had those 53. Um, but it just, it went nuts after that. It went completely bonkers. Yeah, and I noticed you guys, you and Wayne uh, and Ernest Hemingway dominate the sea stories. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ernie's still doing well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not too, not, not too bad, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I make up lots of little jokes about Hemingway in my head when I'm you know whenever I have a new release or something I'm like geez I wish this guy Hemingway would get up. <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh, he's wrecking my, uh, my my cleaning up on the categories there. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm never gonna hit number one if Ernest Hemingway keeps writing books. <laughs> <laughs> and so now when you get your ideas because you said it's like a very small town but there's like you know stuff is going on. Do you like uh, get your ideas from like uh, news stories and like you set them in this location, or how how does that uh, go about? A little bit, but um, 
I actually, I think that I kind of have a tendency to take South Florida's problems and bring them up north. Um, you know, I mean, <clears throat> meth, for instance, is, is a big problem all over Florida, just like everywhere else. But, um, uh, and, and it's something of a concern in Franklin County, but it's not, um, not as big a concern as, as you have where I'm from, which is South Florida. Um, so I just kind of exaggerate everything. Um, so I, I do, uh, I do look at what's going on as far as law enforcement and as far as crime in, in Florida. And I have gotten a couple of ideas from that. Um, but, but mainly something just pops into my head, a little, a little tiny piece of a plot. And I have to kind of build a story around it. I wouldn't say that I'd, I'd go too much into current events. I do have a book planned, book number nine. Yeah, book number nine that deals with bullying and social media. So, I mean, so sometimes it is, you know, stuff that's that's going on that's that really catches my interest or is a soft spot for me. Like I said, I have a, a maybe a little bit too much social commentary in these books. And so, um, you know, sometimes I just build a story around something that I care about. But but so far, no ripped from the headlines kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, but it can be it can be inspiring to. If the, yeah, that's such a poor choice of words, but yeah, it can generate some some good thought and ideas to read the news every now and then. But I I try to avoid it. Do you have like a writing schedule? Do you write every day, and you, or do you have a, goal, a goal count that you try to get hit? That sounds awesome. <laughs> that's a plan, right? <laughs> I have a plan. Yeah, I have a plan, um, but I also have three kids at home, and. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have a plan. Yeah. The plan looks and then great. it goes out the window. <laughs> yeah, I have I have yet to um, actually since the first four books, and I don't really know how I did the first four books. I wrote the first four books in three months. Wow! And I I don't recommend it <laughs> as a as a strategy. I I did it for very specific reasons. Um, and those reasons were valid, but um, but it, it just about did me in. Um, but uh, since that time, I have not followed a schedule. Ideally, I would like to be able to just sit down and do two or three thousand words a day, five days a week, um, and shut my office door and, and put it all behind me by four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but. Uh, I write better at night, and so writing while my kids are at school isn't doesn't usually work out for me. Um, what I call writing time is usually staring at screen time, um, and then uh, you know I'm just not very consistent. Um, I'm going to try to be better at that. That's, that's a really high priority for me. You know, I, I wish I could. I wish I was one of those writers that said, yes, I write from such and such time to such and such time. I write X number of words a day. Um, because then my publication schedule wouldn't be so screwed up. Um, and I would probably have a, a much better life balance. Um, but this that's something that I struggle with on a daily basis. 
do you feel like a, a little more pressure now because your books are so popular you have so many fans wanting the next book now do you, uh, is that something that has changed or, or no or? Um, not as much pressure to succeed as I I had with the first four books um, I was really um, you know I had I, I had cut way back on my freelancing so that I could write the series um, so we were really struggling financially um, and so it it was really important to me I felt a lot of pressure to get them done get them out there on the schedule that I had set and um, and for them to be successful otherwise we were in the poorhouse for no reason and as a single parent you know that weighed really heavily on me so there's less pressure now I don't have the financial pressure now although you know it, it if you just never write another thing eventually there's going to be some financial pressure yeah. um, but um, that that whole thing, you know, and I know you've heard it many times on K-Boards, oh, you've got to release every other month or every three months. Um, and I'm sure that that's definitely a good thing, um, but I found it to be untrue. Um, you don't necessarily have to release that fast. Um, I only released two books last year, and um, I've released one book this year in June. Um and this one, number seven, will be out this month. So obviously, they've been more spaced out than the common advice would suggest you should do it. Um, but uh, it's just been really important to me to have a life. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, and that my kids have a life. Otherwise, I, there's not really much purpose in me being successful. Um, so there is less pressure uh, financially and practically, um, but there's a lot more pressure to keep up the quality because these readers are so amazing and and they are so involved and they've been so encouraging and supportive and patient. You know, so I, I want each book, I, I fret over whether each book is good enough for them. And... Uh, and so, so, yeah, I do put a, a little bit more pressure on myself creatively. Kind of balanced the scales, maybe. Less financial pressure, more creative pressure. It's also fascinating because, you know, you, you get to a point where you're seeing somebody with, with your success. And I've talked, this is with other guests that I've had on. Like, no matter how successful you get and how much your readers love your books, you still kind of doubt yourself when you're writing the next one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Every book sucks. <laughs> Every book sucks. Um, they're going to hate this one. I waited too long to release. They've all forgotten the series. They're not going to remember how much they like it, so they're not going to buy it. Every release is going to be a failure. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and Wayne Stennett and I have talked about that a few times, you know, and he feels the same way, and he's been doing it two years longer than I have, I think, or a year. I think he was about a year and a half in when we met, and he still worries that it's going to fall apart, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it keeps it going. It keeps the drive going and and the quality yeah. and the writing quality keeps going. drive going, but I think if I ever lose my, my gratitude for the success of this series, then it's going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. It really will. And then the books will be crap. And I just don't want that to happen. So... Plus, it's so much less fun if, if you don't remember how grateful you need to be. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and to respect the readers and your fans. 
Yeah, yeah it's been a, I just took a quick peek and uh, of your seven books, you have hundreds of reviews and they're all like 4.6 average rating, which is amazing. <laughs> so it was the, it's, that's just awesome. Yeah, I, thank you for reminding me of that because <laughs> you know, I just look at the the few bad reviews and, and and there really aren't many, surprisingly. But of course, I remember all of the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people realize that, yeah, you do take it personally. You know, I take every single one personally. You know, and writing is a very personal profession. It's kind of like, you know, every time you release a book, it's like putting your kids on public display and inviting people to <laughs> criticize them. Yeah. Any parent knows that that, that doesn't go over well. So. <laughs> So yeah, the, there have been a few reviews that that were really harsh and hurtful. But by and large, I I have escaped the the one star brigade to a certain extent. You want honest reviews. You can learn a lot from the reviews, even you know whether they're middle of the road or really bad. If you start to see a pattern, then you change what you're doing. But uh, but yeah, they can really floor me. <laughs> it really floor me. I, I really, I have tried a few times to, to say, you know what, we're just not going to read reviews anymore because the bad ones do hurt and they do make me question what I'm doing and, you know, and, and that's not very productive. But at the same time, the good reviews, sometimes, you know, when you're having a really hard writing day or you're having a really hard life day, you know, and somebody writes something so heartfelt and, and sincere and, and encouraging, it can really make your whole week. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish there was a way to read them and not see the the bad reviews, but I haven't figured that one out yet. Well, you know what I did? What I did is um, I kind of stopped reading them, but I, I know that you can learn from them. So I asked. So when I have a, a new book, I had my editor. I said, make sure you read all my bad reviews and see if you can pick any nuggets from that. That way, I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really need to do that. And my daughter handles my oldest daughter handles a lot of administrative stuff for me. And I really should have her do that, but basically all she would do is call me up and rant. Yeah, so that, that, and, yeah, that your daughter. Really she'll get more mad. <laughs> so it really doesn't save me any any heartache at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you look at your buddy Ernie Hemingway. Uh, That's like a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, he doesn't ago. care about bad reviews at all. Right. A couple of years ago, I uh, but a couple of years ago, I I, I looked. It's actually at his books and he had a whole bunch of one stars and it was kind of funny to read those i'm like wow so you they really can't please everybody that's all you got to do and just keep keep on trucking along <laughs> it was sometime last year i was looking for one dave robichaud book from james lee burke that i didn't have and so i was on amazon and i, I found the book and i saw that he had some one star reviews and i was like well what what maniac left a one star for james lee burke and so I was reading his bad reviews, and I, and I was getting really indignant on his behalf. And then I thought, you know, why do you let the the bad reviews that you get hit you so hard? You know, you think James Lee Burke is, you know, the pinnacle. So if he can get them, you can get them. Don't worry about it so much. But, you know, it's one thing to tell yourself that intellectually, and it's another thing to convince yourself that, you know, to feel that way. In your characters, do you find, like, does your personality uh, find its way into your books, into your characters at all? Well, my sense of humor definitely does. My my editor actually told me one time last year, I don't remember what we were talking about, and, and uh, she said, you know, you're Wyatt. And I was like, what? And she's like, 
Wyatt is you. That's you. And, you know, Wyatt's a six foot four guy in his 40s. And I was like, well, thanks. That makes me feel more feminine. But yeah, he, he does have my, my sense of humor. And, uh, and so I, I can see where she, she made that comparison. I think probably to some extent, most of the characters have a, a little bit of me in there somewhere. Um, but probably not much because I like them an awful lot. So, and I find them a lot more interesting than I am. So, I would say probably not very much. But Maggie is actually the first female character I've ever written that I liked. I, I analyze that every now and then when I'm, I'm trying to avoid writing. And uh, I haven't really figured it out. I think I just respect her because she's, um, she's a really good mom and she loves her kids. But I, I have trouble writing female characters. I, I never like them, ever. And um, so I've been kind of pleasantly surprised that I actually like Maggie. Well, that's so interesting, because I've had a couple guests who are male authors who are, whose protagonists are female, like detectives or whatever, and they have the kind of... I was wondering how that went on that side, and it's interesting that it's a reverse is the same thing. You, have, you find challenge writing for a female character versus a male. Yeah, to me, my female characters always seem to come out really simpy and wimpy and sometimes even downright whiny. All things that I really don't like in females. Um, but I, I fall in love with every single male character I write. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe male writers write women that they love. And, uh, and women writers do the same thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Even though all of my male characters are very different, I, I fall in love with every single one of them. So I'm probably writing my a composite of my ideal male or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the uh, the bad the, the bad guys? The how did? Uh, oh well, him especially. <laughs> <laughs> of course, um, always the bad boys get all the attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I have one recurring character, Bennett Boudreaux, who is um, he's a very central character. And he, I, I guess, by definition, is a bad guy. I mean, he is a criminal, and he does occasionally kill people. But he, he's the most interesting male character. And, and I thought I was a little whacked because I, I thought he was really pretty hot, actually. But I get a lot of women readers that they really like Boudreaux. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe we all kind of have a thing for the bad guy. He's not black and white bad. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's he definitely lives in the gray margins, um, but but my the bad guys that are in each case, you know, whatever case is going on in each book, um, by and large they're pretty despicable, and I don't like them, and I have to work pretty hard at not having them all end up dead. I had to remind myself with my last book, a wash. I, I got about three-quarters of the way through and realized I didn't know exactly how it was going to end for the bad guy. And I was like, you know, you can't kill them all. <laughs> because heretofore, they'd all ended up dead. And I was like, you know, you really can't kill them all. Somebody's going to have to get arrested. And uh, and so I actually had a bad guy survive for the first time in six books. I noticed that on your website the you had the the soundtrack for your for your for for The Forgotten Coast, which... Oh yeah, that is so cool. Kind of reminds me of that buckwheat sideco type music. Is that so? Music plays yeah. a big part on your stories. 
music is is really important to me when I'm writing. I I started out writing screenplays, and I always had a playlist. And of course, you know, back then this was the dark ages, and I was writing on an IBM Selectric. Um, so there was no Spotify or iTunes or anything. You know, I just had cassette tapes that I had strung together several different songs. But I always listened to music when I was writing. And I do it now with novels. God loves Spotify. I have a, I have a soundtrack for the series. I, I had a soundtrack for See You. I am starting a, a second series, a spinoff series. And it has its own soundtrack that's completely different. But yeah, the music is is really important to the writing, and sometimes it's just the feel. It, it's seldom the lyrics. It's just the feel of the music is right. And uh, and with this series, it's a lot of a lot of Zydeco music, a lot of Cajun blues. It just it adds so much to the writing process for me, and the readers seem to enjoy it. I have a lot of readers that go on Spotify and they'll listen to the soundtrack of the series. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, then it's also on, on your website, Don, com. You have it. A, 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 it's on there, too. If listeners want to go listen to it, it's pretty cool. I love that type of music. <clears throat> oh, it's great music. Yeah, yeah it's great music. Uh, so uh, what, uh, what are you working on now? What's your uh, current project? Um, well, I am struggling to get number seven released. Um, it's called Apparent Wind. It's way behind schedule. <laughs> <laughs> My mother had a recurrence of cancer, mm. and uh, and I've been dealing with some autoimmune issues, and just a, a lot of stuff's been going on. And uh, I had planned originally on having this released in July, and my readers are probably kind of sick of me saying, okay, so I've changed the date too, um, but uh, but it'll be out sometime this month. And at the same time, only because I... I'm so behind on Apparent Wind. Um, I've already started the uh, the first book of the second series. And um, so I, I kind of overwhelmed myself at this point. But uh, but I am excited about the, the second series. It's The central character is, is a minor character from the first series. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> he's also in law enforcement. And that one is set in Port St. Joe, which is about half an hour from Appalach. The two towns have some similarities, but they're also very different. But it, it should be a lot of fun. And I'm actually co-writing that series um, with another friend from Cape Wards. Mm. And uh, he's really an exceptional writer. His name is Al- Axel Blackwell. We're we're learning how to co-write <laughs> yeah i'm gonna ask you about that how neither does that how does that work <laughs> yeah neither one of us has ever done it before uh-huh. um but he's a he's a brilliant writer and and we both have the same really dry sense of humor um he has strengths that i only aspire to and so it it's nice we we fit together well i i feel badly for him because i've been a terrible writing partner thus far mainly schedule wise because it's it's just been it's been really hard to get moving mm-hmm. on this and uh so that's kind of more pressure for me too you know i'm feeling a lot of guilt a lot of pressure to to get that going um but it should be really exciting axel is actually i have a a minor character 
in my series who's named Axel Blackwell, <laughs> um, who is based on Axel. You know, or I should say based on his sense of humor. I haven't actually told my readers yet that that the second series is is a co-writing thing, or that Axel is is my co-writer. But I just thought it would be kind of fun to actually co-write with a a character from my series. <laughs> yeah, they'll be confused. Like, He's came to life. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the book that I'm finishing up now, Apparent Win, Axel is actually the central focus of of that story. And um, so I'm hoping that'll kind of dovetail well. Mm-hmm. He'll be the main character in this book from my first series. And then the next book that I have out is co-written by him. So... Well, that, um, is, that is a cool name because I've always, you know, you know, as, as we are, we're always looking for cool names for characters. And the minute you said that name, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, Axel Blackwell is, just, yeah. I think it's like the best name ever. I wish I had thought of it. Um, but it, yeah, it's, what a great name. Yeah. And he's a, he's a really cool character. He's, he's actually my favorite minor character from the series. I just, he's, he's a really funny guy. Really funny guy. And, um, I think he adds a lot to the series when he pops in. All right, so um, uh, I'm not going to keep you, uh, uh, take too much more of your time here, Don. Um, is there anything else that you would uh, like to say to the listeners? Uh, I know you um, have a lot of aspiring writers that listen to the show. I don't know. If I could say anything to aspiring writers, it would, it would just be to write, write what you love. Write what gets you excited. And try not to worry too much about people, what people say you should do. I'm sure that the majority of the time, the advice is, is true and, and good, and it's not bad advice. But every now and then, you know, somebody can do it the way that they they feel is best, despite the, the best advice, and, and it can work out. You know, write what you love, and if your manuscript is getting you excited, then, then maybe it's gonna get readers excited too, even if it doesn't seem to fit or doesn't seem to kowtow to the, the conventions. And I'm sure going going completely ape with genre expectations and whatever isn't necessarily a good idea. But if you, if you think the work is good and if you're having fun writing it, then you know there's a decent chance people are going to have fun reading it. If you become successful writing something that you don't necessarily like, but you think that, that it's a good idea for the market... What's going to happen if it does take off? Then you're stuck writing something that you don't even like. You might as well work at Walmart if you're going <laughs> yeah. to do that. Yeah, you're going um, to be miserable. Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I, I love this series. I really do. It's not what I set out to write. I did not set out to be a suspense writer. But, man, I, I have so much fun with it. and I, I love the world that it's in, and I, I love the characters that populate it. So I'm very, very fortunate that I can sit down and, and write something that makes me happy and people are willing to let me make a living doing that. You know, especially after five years of freelancing and writing what I was told to write. And, uh, and some of that was pretty <laughs> heartbreakingly uninteresting. <laughs> I, I don't ever want to get stuck writing stuff that I don't, get joy from um, because I might as well be back writing stuff that doesn't interest me at all as a ghostwriter. Not very articulately put, but yeah, write what you love and, and write what gives you a sense of excitement when you turn on your computer. Yeah, no, I think that Don't makes... Give up. 
Yeah, I think that totally makes sense because even if you're even if it's a popular genre, there's still a lot of room there to do something that you love, like you did. You know, it's a it's a suspense thriller genre, but it's very different, <laughs> and you found your you found your way. Yeah, and but you know, like I said, you know, I kind of groped my way through there, um, <laughs> but um, th- there is room for originality, and there is room to to blend things from from different genres together, and so I think that. You know, it's important to stay true to the story and true to yourself as a writer. Keep the market in mind, but don't make it the number one priority. That shouldn't be your your the end all of your your standards for what you're writing. Okay, Don, thank you so much for being on the show. That's a great advice, and I really appreciate uh, uh, being on here. And it was nice talking to you. Well, thank you, Alan. I, I really appreciate it, and it was very good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. I'd like to ask you to please review and rate this uh, podcast over on iTunes. It really helps me get the word out. If you take a few seconds of your time to uh, do that, it would be much appreciated. You can also visit my website at thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for show notes on this episode, as well as information about the uh, podcast in general. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there. You'll be getting uh, special offers from our guests, as well as information, uh, behind the scenes information on the podcast. And uh, please do visit my author website at alanpeterson.com. I appreciate your support. And so until next episode, I will talk to you then.